Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am your host, Ross Bolin, here at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas, with my lovely co-host, Barrett Dudley. Good day for podcasting. Just uh, real nasty weather outside. You know, I think the uh, I think the rain makes the timber of my voice even better. Is that so? Mm-hmm. They say that. People you are saying that. think it has that. an effect on the chords? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, it's, uh, the weather patterns they can really they can really get in there and do some things you're more of a man yeah when, uh-huh. when it rains mm-hmm. that's true are you only happy when it rains uh, yes who's saying that song garbage the that's band good garbage shit. that's yeah. good shit i love a band that's just like you know what <laughs> let's just call ourselves garbage that's the height of the grunge era i yeah. think you know and it just was really really natural i really do enjoy rain though yeah, I don't know why, and it's uh, it's very rainy here. It's shit. The only the shit part about rain is, is that, that you, you can't, can't wear your cool pairs of shoes. Exactly. Yeah, I'm wearing sandals right now, <laughs> and I feel terrible about that. Yeah. Anyway, this is the night's rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. We highly recommend you take the black and join us. Also, that you tell your friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, anybody who enjoys Game of Thrones. Just let them know, hey, there's a podcast out there called Oysters, Clams, and Cockles that you might enjoy, and you could listen to it and be super knowledgeable for Season 8. Do it. We've got some hotline calls this week. Three of them, in fact. 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. You can call anytime, any day. It's a voicemail. Give us a question, a take, a clam fam correction, a theory, just something you want to address. Whatever it may be, 866-43-CLAMS is your number. Here's the first call for this week. So guys, this is Reese calling from Houston. I'm a little behind, but a month behind. I uh, just was listening to RVP and all that stuff. So, uh, but I'm catching up again. I just thought, you know what? I don't think I've ever. No one's ever given you a name like your Westeros name. So I went ahead and did it um, on the stupid BuzzFeed site bullshit thing. Uh, so Ross, we have you. You are Ross, the Secret Keeper Bolin, creator of Storms, and you ride for House Targaryen because I put your first name and your last name and your weapon of choice is fists because you and Micah talk about fighting people so often on RBP um, and you create a lot of storms like with the uh, pole cut the check debacle. Um, so that's your name. Uh, and then Barrett, we, I put you for a uh, sword um, for your weapon. So I have Barrett the Savage Dudley, the spoiler of summer. You ride for House Baratheon. So I just wanted to give you all your uh, maybe unofficial Westeros names. Um, yeah, love the pod. Keep doing what you're doing. Peace. Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, I appreciate that. I don't know why you get a sword and I'm out here swinging my fists. Are you swinging? I thought, did he say fists or stick? Fists. Oh, fists. I don't it, get a weapon. I guess that's because you just talk about punching people in the face so, I, ma- so, so much. That doesn't mean that I need to be unarmed. <laughs> I assure you. I need a sword. Your your fists are uh, registered as deadly weapons in the state of Westeros. Apparently, yeah. I'm just out here punching people. Yeah, left and right until somebody pulls a weapon. Hey, at least you're not the at least you're not that dude that uh, the, the biter. That's true. That guy, <laughs> worst attack ever. Just went straight for the neck. The biter. R.I.P. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. I'm down with spo- the spoiler of summer though. That's a tight name. Yeah, that's and a tight I, name. You know, I'm like a I'm a I'm a summer boy, but I'm definitely a winter boy. So, you, so you're both. Well, I mean, like you know, I feel like I'm one of the only people that's like, hell yeah, it's cold. You know what I mean? In Texas, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah there's so that's, uh, not very many of you. No. Dozens. Do, there are dozens many, of us, but yeah. not very many. But not yeah. a ton. Yeah. Next call. What's up, Clan Fam? It's Tyler from Connecticut. Uh, listening to the current pod right now. Uh, just wanted to throw a little little something at you guys when you were talking about Elia in the Water Gardens, um, or Elaria, sorry. Did either of y'all think that she was channeling a little bit of post-shame season seven Joffrey shit hair bull cut Cersei? She's like got this face on her that she's like this powerful badass bitch and she's like dressed all in black and her hair shorter, but she also looks wicked unhinged. Am I the only one who made that connection, or am I just fishing for shit? I don't know. Let me know you guys' thoughts. All right, keep it up, guys. Bye. It's really unfortunate that we've hit this point where now I can't even... Like, he said his name's Tyler, and maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is, but I don't know, you know, because we're just the number one Tyler podcast in the world. Yeah. And I cannot tell if people are playing up into that fact or if it's just the sh- if it's real, if right. that's his birth name. You have to believe that that really is his name simply because our Tyler community is so large it and really so is. strong and so proud that, <laughs> that it's just, I mean, you know, chances are that's really that's really his name. The Tyler's of the of the world they love us i if they i seriously us. had to guess at this point i would wager that <laughs> roughly 28 percent of our <laughs> listenership is comprised of people named tyler yeah yeah and I'll, I'll be honest with you i don't really know what his call was about it was about alaria yeah I mean, she might have looked a little cersei-ish there in that scene but nah i mean just you're gonna have any powerful, angry women with short, short hair are going to remind you of Cersei in season the, seven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. All right, last call. Yo, what up, guys? It's Ian from Michigan. <clears throat> so a couple things about these guys from Dorne. Uh, first off, Doran, uh, the dude in the wheelchair, has gout, of all things. <laughs> For some reason, that's kind of hilarious, that of all things. His feet hurt, and that's it. And his bodyguard, don't remember his name, but his bodyguard is a Norvosi priest. We talked about him a couple of episodes ago, I think. But those guys are like militant priest dudes um, from Norvos who uh, are badasses with pole axes, which is what that dude is carrying. Uh, so apparently he's a bad motherfucker, even though he dies like nothing. So just a couple things. Uh, keep it up. Love the podcast. Peace. 
Okay, so Prince Doran is suffering from gout? Too much red meat, I guess. And it, I, it must be an extreme case of gout. Because like, <laughs> I know people with gout, and they're not in wheelchairs. They can walk? Yeah, they just, you know, I think you can have a touch of gout, or a you can have okay. a lot of gout. full-blown gout. Doesn't it, like, make your feet swell up? And your digits, all your digits. Okay. Uh-huh. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah. I had a math teacher in high school. She had gout. Had trouble with the chalk some days. Is that right? It is. Ah, man. You can get rid of gout, though, I think. I don't think you can. I don't think you can, but I also have no idea, and I'm not a doctor. Okay, here's why I think you can get rid of gout. Apparently, Jared Leto gave himself gout while losing all that weight for his role as, he's like, so malnourished? as, as in the uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think that dude has gout anymore. Maybe you're right. Yeah. So I don't. I, but I don't know. Maybe it's hard to get rid of. The other thing he addressed. Uh, what kind of priest is it? Nervosi? Nerv? 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 Whatever. It, the other He's thing, a warrior priest that's supposed to be like a real, right? You know, badass with that with that thing that he carries, that weapon. Um, we had new uh, new Dario talking about how he had learned all these different fighting styles and oh, that was the third one he referenced that's and we were true. like who the what the fuck is a nervous nerva whatever the word yeah. is priest that's it that's it's it. this guy and then as the caller pointed out it kind of makes it a bummer that this dude just gets got like i think well, this- we, t- we talked about it a little bit last week because i mentioned that this is this is one of the first times we see this guy uh-huh and i just think he was poorly cast yeah he's just kind of out of place because he looks he, he just looks like a soft ass uncle yeah, you know, or or just a giant, or, or teddy just bear. like somebody's dad that's like at work at the, as their bodyguard, but like hasn't kept it tight in the gym for the last ten years. He like a and, like a retired NFL yeah, yeah linebacker. Yes, that's what he looks like. Exactly. So it's he's not that imposing. He doesn't really look like he's all that that good at fighting anymore. He's protecting a guy with gout, and then he gets got just super and easy. Just, and then he's just yeah. Anyway, those were the hotline calls for the day. Eight six six four three clams. Let's get into season five, episode three. High Sparrow, written by Benioff and Weiss, and again directed by Mark Mylod, who, as we said last week, went back to back. We open up with Arya sweeping floors in the house of black and white, and uh, she watches as Jacques Nagar, or no one, serves some dude a saucer of liquid from the well within the building. There's a well in the middle of this building. He says, Valar Morgulis, Jacques responds, Valar Doharis, and then he walks off. Uh, the the guy who drank the liquid does and starts praying to a statue that's crying. This, I'll be real with you, was kind of a painful reminder that we're going to be stuck with this storyline the whole season. It just opens in this episode. You're just like, oh, fuck me. This is going to be never-ending. But Arya approaches Jockin. says she's been sweeping the floors for days and uh, she says, I didn't come here to sweep floors. You said I could be your apprentice. You said you'd teach me how to be a faceless man. Jockin responds, a man teaches a girl. Valar Doharis, all men must serve. Faceless men, most of all. Yeah, so I didn't, I hadn't quite put together or remembered or, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't conscientious of the fact that Val, uh, Valar Doharis meant all men must serve. Yeah. So the two, the give and then the reply is all men must die, all men must serve. Right. Okay. So... I feel like the reverse would make more sense. All men must serve, all men must die. Yeah. Because death is really, there's a lot of finality there. Right. Or, you know, at least I thought there was. Yeah. But. Well, so, and in the case of these faceless men, 
the god that they're serving that that Jacken talks about right. is is death basically that's what he's talking about the god is death yeah it's funky all though all men know his name and or what is that what he something says something like all that people, all, all men know his name and all men know his gift yes or no he gift. says you know who i speak of all men know his gift yeah his, his and he's gift talking being about, death. i'm pretty sure he's talking about death i'm pretty sure too but and that's just, the that's the one true god their whole setup is very strange because they have statues of the other to gods. all the other gods yeah. and then he says there's only one god the many-faced god all know his gift uh obviously then we see the man who drank from the well dead on his back he's, so they're so the faceless men are serving the god of the god of death apparently yeah. and like making deals on his behalf it just the whole thing's very strange because i can't quite remember how this all works right what well i definitely man, don't remember what these guys are just coming in there drinking the, the poison water for in exchange for I, something and and i don't remember exactly how it works we get more insight into that in the coming episodes which is just going to be riveting i can't wait uh but for now it's just like oh god this is all very weird and and it some guys come out and take away the dead guy on his stretcher and Arya asks the waif we know she's the waif at this mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. we don't know who she is but where they're taking him and she just doesn't answer that becomes a common theme most of the time we spend in the house of black and white this season is Arya asking questions to people and yeah. those people flat out ignoring her yes it's very frustrating uh, fuck this storyline it's gonna go on forever <laughs> just buckle up because that part of this season is a bit painful and tedious you i'll tell you uh, i'll tell you what though this i feel like this storyline is kind is it's almost one of the things that gave birth to the rise of the puzzle box show uh that's popular now and specifically westworld because do you remember the theories that came out of this shit? Yeah, it got a little crazy. That like the Ar Ar the waif was Arya. Right. I mean, there was just some real batshit stuff that people on Reddit were trying to put together and like digging super deep into everything. And then Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan were like, hey, we can do that. Dude, you make and a good point. <laughs> you make a good point. The, the more like vague mysterious shit you have going on the more insane the internet goes with it yes. and then you don't even have to come up with storylines anymore <laughs> at that point they just do all the work for you yeah uh but that's pretty much what this the whole this whole storyline became is is there are people still clinging to some of the ridiculous theories that were born of this storyline like aria is the wave the wave is aria like aria didn't survive that's the wave like, oh yes just, that's the wave yeah it but because well, they presented us with this anyone could be anyone right. situation right. and then the internet just you know how reddit yeah yeah anyway any other thoughts on the no, house of black uh -uh. and white opening no so then we're in king's landing where uh tom and marjorie are being carried through a sea of people to to their wedding at the sept of baylor and everyone, all the the whole crowd, all the peasants are calling out to Queen Marjorie, Queen Marjorie, because they they love her. Mm -hmm. And Cersei is not pleased with the common people's love for who she calls a a smirking whore. Yeah, which is a really great description of her, though. When she says that smirking whore line, I mean, you feel it. Oh yeah, dude, it is vicious. Uh, Lena Headey, in in somewhere in life, someone did her wrong, <laughs> and she held on to it better than anyone ever i i think you're right and she yes. can unleash it whenever she wants and mm -hmm. it's just her disdain for people that she can express is, is better than anyone i've ever seen it, it kind of gives some some uh you know some understanding for the the viewing public as to why she and uh and What's what and and uh Braun, the real the real people the actors can't be in the same room together 
Jeremy, Jerome Flynn. Jerome, yeah, because you can imagine that their breakup was just, I mean, incredibly awful. Yeah, you get the you get the <laughs> feeling that they were like like throwing things. Oh, at shit each other. was for sure thrown. Like like pots and pans and names. Maybe even, the worst names oh. were called. Oh, he called her the C word. You know he did hundreds of times. She, probably she called him the other C word. She probably told him he had like a tiny penis. Oh, he might. <laughs> She definitely went for the dick when she was making fun of him, when she was firing shots. But uh, anyway, they get married, Tom and Marjorie. Everybody cheers. It's very quick. This this The wedding's kind of glazed over, which is great. Right. Thank right. God. No frivolity this time yes. around. Yes. This is a religious ceremony, then it's over. And on Sparrow Watch, it is the septon that does the marrying of Still these Still the high septon. Yes. yes. The bearded man who later in this episode uh, gets into a bit of a pickle. Anyway, then they then they bang. Tom and Marjorie. Tom and loses his V card. They here. get the deed done, and this is significant because very significant. Yes, most weddings we see on the show don't end up getting consummated. Right, like all of them. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm trying to think of a wet. Well, Rob consummated Rob his. And, yes, yes, but he died. Yeah, uh, that's about it. And I think that's it so far. But so yeah, he, this is great success for Tom, and, and he's extremely happy. The, I will say this about Tom and, and the actor who plays him. He genuinely, for this entire scene, looks like the happiest man alive. And I don't even think the actor is acting anymore. I think he's just that happy to be in bed with the topless Natalie Dormer. Uh, that's a good point. And I actually, I, I thought, I also thought about the acting during this scene. Because this had to have been, I'm sure this was a little weird. Like, I know actors are professionals yeah, and yada yada. Yeah, he's like 14, 15, But this right? kid's young, and Natalie Dormer is... Old, much older, significantly and, older, maybe and twice as old as him. Super attractive, very she hot. She was more than twice as twice his age, I think. Very topless. Yes, and so I mean, for him to, he definitely channeled, like you said, probably some real life feeling there. Like, you, you can't know. act that smile right. on his face. Like son. I'm really That's... glad that I've got this tiny little nude colored speedo thing on. Otherwise, right. my boner would be flying all over the place. Right, it's just <laughs> wagging in the air like a dog's tail. And uh, I, I, I mean. It's uh, anyway. Let's get into their dialogue. He says, "Did I hurt you?" And she says, "No, you were lovely." He's like, "It all happened so fast. <laughs> I was scared. Maybe I hurt you. It sounded like." And she's like, "No, no, no. You're very sweet. The sweetest king who ever lived." And you have to keep something in mind here. We live in the age of like porn and Hollywood, and this kid would have no idea, no sexual knowledge whatsoever. That's right? true. That's what true. What he thinks is her moaning is him hurting her. Right. Right. He doesn't know. He doesn't get it yet. Uh, she says, you're very sweet, the sweetest king who ever lived. And he says, this is all I want to do all day, every day for the rest of my life, which is a very accurate depiction of like the first time you have sex. You're like, holy shit, why would anybody ever do anything else? She says, wouldn't that be glorious? Shouldn't we rest a little a uh, little while just to catch our breath? There's no rush, is there? And what we find out later, this was the conclusion of round four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he, Tommen is just in it to win it. And granted these are probably very short sessions with a much dominant a much older more experienced dominant marjorie yes yep who's just taking him to the candy shop over and over but <laughs> uh point being he's 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 you know he's holding his own then tom tries to order up some room service for his queen he offers her some cake or some pomegranate juice this is this moment is tommen peaking right here Point blank. Well, just such a pro move to it offer is. the palm juice because chicks love pomegranate juice post sex. Yes. Everybody knows that. And sweets. And cake. cake. Yes. Uh, everybody's been there at one point in their life. You're laying in a hotel bed after great sex, ordering room service naked, and it's it's just 
that's as close to like heaven as you can get on earth and he's achieving that right here as yeah, a he child is, he is yeah as a as a young as a very very young man really if you think about it Tommen as a character might have been the purest best human we ever encounter in this show and what's crazy about that well I'll get to it in a second well fuck it this saga ends with Tommen committing suicide <laughs> yeah Jumping from a window. So he goes from this, the peak, mm-hmm. and then the wild ride down to the bottom that ends with him literally walking out of a window. It's fucking crazy when you think of it It's that a way. damn shame, too. And I mean, I know Marjorie is like just a surgeon with her execution on this guy. Oh, and like a lot crazy. of it is, is, is her putting on this show. Sure. But, but I, you have did, to imagine, I did really think that these two showed a lot of promise. And I think she would have put on that show for the rest of her life. And, and it never would fuck it why would he care if it's a show she's so good at it it might as well be real yeah and i mean this is and he's gonna satisfy all her needs anyway too right like it, she gets to be queen he's a really nice dude he's offering her palm juice post-sex and they both love sailing ross and they both they love both sailing. love sailing they're sailors barrett and sailors it's just easy for them to get along yeah and I, to borrow from westworld uh is it real if you can't tell does it matter <laughs> You know, she's, he's, this is the, he is set here. This is a win-win. Everybody's shitty is being slowly removed from his life, Tommen's life, as they're all being murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got a hot older woman now, and it ends with him committing suicide. It's just a real bummer. Uh, anyway, then they get to talking about Cersei, and Marjorie is just continuing to weave her web here. And it's just, I mean, an unbelievable performance from her, and... She's getting Tommen to realize, basically, that he's a man now, that he doesn't need his mother being so protective of him. He's the king, and that she's so protective because of all the things she's been through and endured, and it's not her fault, but basically that he needs to wean her away. And it's like this genius level of reverse psychology that she lays down on him. Oh, yeah. uh, That is extremely effective, as we find out immediately, as the next scene is Cersei walking and talking with Tommen, uh, commenting on, she, she says, you look very much in love. The first days of marriage are often so blissful. She's certainly very pretty, isn't she? Like a doll. She smiles quite a lot. Do you think she's intelligent? I can't quite tell. <laughs> Not that it matters. She's just going on and on, just eating her, uh, just attacking while Tommen sits there. And little does Cersei know that this is just solidifying in his head that he's got to get rid of his mom. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you ever miss Casterly Rock? <laughs> and Cersei's like, well, there's nothing for me in Casterly Rock. And she's like, well, he's like, well, that's where you grew up. You always told me that you liked the people better there. It should be noted, one dose of Marjorie, and this dude is sending his mom off to a nursing home, essentially. is what He's trying to, anyway. The skills that Marjorie has, had, has, depending on how you're looking at it, un- unbelievable. And Cersei still beats her. Yes. You got to give Cersei a lot of credit. Because up front, at the very beginning of this fight, she's getting her ass kicked. This chick almost has her being sent off to Casterly Rock to fucking live out her days as a, you know, queen mother afar. Cersei asks Tommen, why are we speaking of Casterly Rock? So she's coming to uh, terms here with the fact that Marjorie may be winning. Tommen tells her, I want you to be happy. And she's like, I know that, darling. And he's like, but wouldn't you be happier at Casterly Rock? <laughs> he just really landed on thick. And with that question, I believe that Cersei had reaches the point where she kind of knows what she has to do. She's going to have to get rid of this chick. 
uh, for real now. Like it's becoming very real. The next scene we see is Marjorie hanging with her ladies in waiting and laughing about how Tommen and her boned four times and then she had to ask him to take a break because it's not like they're trying to set a record and Tommen asks, well, what is the record? I'm sure we can break it. <laughs> I have to love the enthusiasm. Uh, and then Cersei approaches to talk with Marjorie and it's just cut down city here. Like the underhanded insults and the, it's fucking insane. She, she opens with, I wish we had some wine for you. It's a bit early in the day for us. The, the wine line is just so biting. It's fantastic. Um, She's essentially like, you have a drinking problem. That's what that is. Um, Quite harsh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to see Marjorie like hit Cersei with all of these great lines and just really cut her down, take her down a notch. At the same time, every single dagger and barb that she lands, you're just like, Ugh, God, no, stop. It's like it's painful because you know you know that she doesn't win. It's like watching a heavyweight on the ropes, letting the other guy wear himself out as he's just throwing jab after jab right. after jab after jab after jab, just doing the fucking what's what was it called that Muhammad Ali, Ali, well, would Ali do? yeah. The rope a dope. The rope a dope, yeah. And then she's just gonna explode yep. later on and just knock her ass out. And yeah, there's a little bit of that. It, I mean, obviously, knowing what happens, we uh, it's harder to enjoy. But what do we? What what is what is Cersei doing here? What's what is her? I think she was like, I need to go talk with this chick a little more to feel her out and see if there's any salvaging this relationship. Basically, like based on her conversation with Tom, and she knows, and based on many many other conversations, we know Cersei is is wary of Marjorie sinking her claws into Tom, and yes. And worried about her taking him away from from Cersei, and I think she's like, I got to go get one more conversation in with this chick to really feel out where this is at. And immediately, the result is her being like, I've got to get get rid of this girl. Okay, this cannot be. This cannot be the guy or the chick that uh, Tom is married to. She knows she's going to get pushed out if she doesn't do something about Marjorie, because the. The lie she gives Marjorie is that she came to talk to her to let her know if there's anything I can ever do for you, right? Let me know. But yeah. that's horseshit. That's of course, meaningless. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. yeah, the whole conversation is weird though. Marjorie uh, tells Cersei that she's exhausted. Says something like, "After all, what could I expect? Tommen is half lion, half stag. Mm-hmm. She's making sex jokes with her mother-in-law." Then she says, "What's the proper way to address you now, Queen Mother or Dowager Queen?" Yes. Just like it, just laying it on. Dowager meaning a widow queen, basically. Yeah. And I, but you've got to think the dowager is kind of like not something you want to be called. I think that's probably the worst thing you could be called. Right, if you're, if you're, right. She says, in any event, judging from the king's enthusiasm, the queen mother will be the queen grandmother soon. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my God. So when we see Cersei's face as she walks away and Marjorie's lading and waiting, ladies in waiting are laughing in the background. And you can just tell she's done, this is it. She's done here. She has to start thinking of a way to get rid of this chick. Next thing you know, we're in Winterfell with the Boltons, where uh, Reek looks like absolute shit. We we are in Winterfell here, right? Yes. This is not Moat Kalen. No, we are in Winterfell. Okay. Which is, it's all fucked up still. It's like being rebuilt. Uh, the whole Bolton house is there with all their men now. They have taken up fucking, this is it. They've taken up residence in Winterfell. There's a, a flayed man and woman being strung up at the gates. And there are crows picking at another dead flayed body. Yes, lovely. We'll find out who those people are shortly. Uh, Reek comes in to serve Roos and Ramsay as they are eating. And he overhears this whole conversation between the two about how Ramsay flayed these three people living because 
Lord Kwin, I believe it was. Kerwin? Whatever. He's something ref- like that? Something like that. He's refusing to pay his taxes. Mm-hmm. And so Ramsey flayed him and his wife living and made the son watch. And uh, there was another son in there, too. Whatever. Point being, he leaves one alive. The son, who's when the new Lord Kerwin, and now he pays his taxes. That guy agrees. He's going to pay his taxes. Yep. Uh, I mean, it really gives you just... We're getting into the whole Ramsey is really, really sick in the head. Like, it's yes. it's just getting further and further. But I guess, you know, what? why he sticks around so long under Roos's command is because he also seems to be uh, productive. Yes. Like, his his ways, his old school Bolton ways are getting things done. They work, right. right. He got the tax money. Uh, and he re- removed this guy who was obviously not going to be down with the Bolton cause and, and okay with what they've got going up on up north. Bruce then tells Ramsey that they don't have enough men to hold the north if all the other houses decide to rise up against him. you got to give this, it, for all the things that you could say about Bruce, He's he is smart. He sees things for what they are. He sees that his pact with the Lannisters is worthless now because that pact was made with Tywin and Tywin is dead. And he, he points out, by the way, that the Lannisters have never once in the history of the Seven Kingdoms sent their army as far north as Winterfell. Right. That has never happened. Yep. He says something like, if you think they're going to do that for us, you're a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, but he points out, he says, that he has another way to forge a lasting alliance through marriage. And coincidentally, he says, as it happens, I found the perfect girl to solidify our hold on the north. He's got a chick set up that he's going to marry to Ramsay in order to solidify this hold and cue Sansa and Littlefinger riding up to Moat Kaelin uh, on the road to Winterfell. So you got to go through Moat Kaelin to get to Winterfell. You do. That's From what... where they were, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And we finally find out here where Littlefinger is taking Sansa. He's taking her home. He's taking her to Winterfell. And Sansa's obviously very upset as she starts to figure this all out that... We saw Littlefinger at one point get a raven about a marriage proposal. Yep, and they're talking about it in the um, in the in the bar. Yes, and she's figuring out that that wasn't for him; it was for her. She's not happy, and at first she thinks she's set to marry Roos, and she's irate because Roos obviously killed her brother and mother. And Littlefinger's like, "No, no, no! You'll be marrying his son and heir, Ramsay." And she's still pissed. She's threatening to starve herself. She says she'll die before she has to do that. And this is huge. This is a critical point, a critical juncture for Sansa and for Littlefinger, too. He has to convince her that this isn't his decision, that it's hers. Right. He says, say the word and we'll turn the house, the horses around. But listen to me. Listen, you've been running all your life. Terrible things happen to your family and you weep. You sit alone in a darkened room mourning their fates. You've been a bystander to tragedy from the day they executed your father. Stop being a bystander. Do you hear me? Stop running. There's no justice in the world, not unless we make it. You loved your family. Avenge them. So he gives this little you know, monologue, and it, it works. It yeah. convinces her. Yeah, he's a real asshole. And yes, he is. He's, <laughs> well, the, the other thing here is it's hard to figure out exactly how much of an asshole he is because... He genuinely, as we find out a little bit later, does not know shit about Ramsey Bolton. He's never no, heard he of this does not. Yeah, yeah. He, Ramsey, as he puts it, just became a lord. He's only been a lord for a little while, and th- I think that's extremely important to remember. Littlefinger didn't know he was giving Sansa to the monster he gives her to. He he just knows he's given her to someone for his own purposes. He doesn't know it's going to result in her being tortured and raped and her make her life a living hell. Sure, sure, yeah. 
Um, and I thought it was interesting what he says to her that there's no justice in the world, not unless we make it. I, I believe she ends up turning that around on him. But uh, she, he says, you loved your family, avenge them. It's almost like he's like, wink, wink, I'm putting you in the Bolton house. Ruse Bolton killed your brother and de facto killed your mother. Hmm. Find a way, essentially. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. You know what true. I mean? That's like, true. Uh, he says, avenge them, point blank. Hmm. And you got to think, like, if you're her or if I'm her, I'm taking that as, well, I'm going to be eating meals with these people. I'm going to be sleeping with these people. I'm going to be in the in the presence of these people constantly. Surely I can find a way to knock this dude off, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I took it as. And in the end, Sansa takes a second, and then she walks back to get on her horse, and, and you have to assume that she's decided to continue to roll with Littlefinger in his plan. Um, and if nothing else, she agrees with him on the fact that she belongs in Winterfell. He says all that shit about, you're from the North, you belong in the North, blah, 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 blah. The Starks... Everybody appears to be of the same opinion. The Starks belong in Winterfell. They should stay in the North. They belong in Winterfell. And Sansa believes that too. Next, we're on the road with Brienne and Pod. And if you remember, Brienne and Pod are attempting to tail Sansa and Littlefinger. Yes. But they don't have access to Moat Kalen, right? Is that the situation they get into here? Because they, they ride up to that bog or the swamp mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck, we're going to have to go around it. Whereas Littlefinger and them, they can just roll through it. So I believe it makes their journey way longer. They have yes, to go around this because thing. the Boltons now hold Moat Kalen. There you go. So Littlefinger and Sansa are allowed through. Brand and Pod would be slaughtered at the gate. Right. N- so, assumedly. Yeah. So that's that's. I didn't really grasp that until you're saying it right mm-hmm. now, and that's yeah. that's exactly why this whole thing kind of <laughs> unfolds the way it does. So they get to talking, and Brienne asks Pod how he ended up squiring for Tyrion, and we get this cool little story. So. Turns out he squired for a knight named Sir Loramir during the War of the Five Kings. And one night, Sir Loramir had too much to drink and he was famished, so he borrowed a ham, as as Pod puts it. Pod says he was drunk too, and uh, Lord Bor- Lord Sir Loramir gave Pod half of that ham. The next morning, one of the guards saw Sir Loramir passed out under a wagon with the ham bone still in his hand, and they hanged him that afternoon. Yeah, really uh, intense punishment there for the the... The ham theft. For real. Like, the Lannisters hold ham in high regard. Hey, you took that ham. Can you pay for that ham? No. No. Well, okay. Well, they did, but they didn't even ask they him that. They didn't ask if they he could pay for it. They didn't ask if he could pay for the ham. Because he probably could. Oh, you can pay for the ham. Doesn't matter. You're dead. Yeah. We don't need any more sirs. <laughs> this is a knight. They yeah. executed a yeah. knight for being drunk and taking a ham. That's just really in- insane. Pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they had a noose tied up for Pod, too, but Lord Tywin heard his family name was Payne, so he pardoned him. And for anyone who's confused, that's because Illyn Payne, the king's justice, is a distant relative. This, they're not even closely related. Right, right. Yep. That's what's crazy, but Tywin was still like, ah, ha, ha. And that's how it goes in the real world. It is. Your name can get you a lot of places. And fortunately for Pod, his last name is Payne, and his psycho distant relative is a basically a serial killer. Employed by the uh, the king. He kind of uh, cheated death there a bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Very fortunate. So, what Tywin did was take Pod and send him to King's Landing to squire for his son, Tyrion, and the rest is history. Uh, we do get a little bit of more, uh, even more genuine Pod here, where he says he's proud to be Brienne's squire, that she's the best fighter he's ever seen, that she beat the Hound. He really kills her with kindness. Um, 
I don't even think that's how he means it. Like, he's not being nice to her for the sake of teaching her that she's rude. He's just that genuinely nice. Yes, Pod can't help but be a very genuine, nice person. And it kind of gets her to realize, I feel like this has already happened once or twice, but again, she realizes that she was being a bitch. And she apologizes, she says, for being so nasty to him, asks him if he wants to be a knight, and so they'll start training with a sword twice a day tomorrow. I mean, yes, this this is kind of it's been on the verge of happening a couple of times. She finally but I think breaks. here's where like the the relationship really starts to thaw, if you will. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I mean it's like if you can take it that he's teaching her a lot. Uh, if they're both teaching each other. He's going to teach her how to be a nicer person and be more considerate. She's going to teach him how to ride properly and swing a sword. Well, and basically what they do here is they they use the tried and true method that you'll see on uh, ABC's hit show The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Oh God! When so- <laughs> when somebody is on a one on one, the classic thing that you do once you get to the dinner part of the one on one, okay, is is you tell your greatest sob story. Yes. Whether it's your relative with terminal illness, okay, or your dog get hit by your a dog car. get hit by a car, or the one time that you were engaged, but then she cheated on you, oh, or yeah. something. You just tell you tell a big heartbreaking story right. that reveals how emotionally vulnerable you can be, and that's kind of what they both do. You tell Pod, you Pod tell tells, the story of how your wife fucked a scuba instructor on your honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What it, is that yeah. movie called? Uh, Along, Along came Polly. That's a funny ass movie, man. That's an underrated movie. <laughs> That shit is funny. Um, yeah. Rain Man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. And then she gets into her sto- sob story about how how she ended up serving Rinley, how he was mm-hmm. she was Kingsguard to him, how she ended up in that position. She tells a story about how when she was a girl, her father threw a ball to make a match for her and how all the boys came and they all danced with her and whispered in her ear how they wanted to be married to her and have a castle with her and all this shit. But then slowly but surely, the they started to break and laugh and giggle together. And it became very clear to Brienne that this was all a ruse, a ruse for (laughs) lack of a better, they're bullshitting. She she was, yeah, she was being made fun of. They were were making fun of her. The question, I guess, did her dad mean this as a joke as well? Or did it turn into a joke? I don't think he meant it as a joke. I think he was probably just so like, I I don't think, yeah, he he didn't didn't know what to do. He didn't care about her or how she felt. He didn't think enough to know that this was going to happen. Right. Okay. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, he's just trying to get his daughter matched up with somebody. Right. I don't right. think he necessarily gave a fuck. But what ended up happening is Rinley danced with Brienne because he didn't want to see her get hurt. He told her, don't let them see your tears. They're nasty little shits and nasty little shits aren't worth crying after. Brienne tells about how they called her Brienne the Beauty. And she says, and I realized I was the ugliest girl alive, a great lumbering beast. Uh, she also admits that she knew Rinley loved men, but that he saved her from being a joke from that day until his last day, and it's it destroyed her because she couldn't save him in return. She says, nothing is more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. Mm. One day I will avenge King Rinley. And Pod's like, yeah, but how do you plan on doing that? You said it was uh, Shadow who murdered him. She says, a shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon. I know it was Stannis. I know it in my heart. Stannis is a man, not a shadow, and a man can be killed. So, just to kind of give you the uh, skinny on on what we're accomplishing here, aside from cool backstory for Brienne and Bod both, you're getting Brienne's kind of checklist of goals, right? It's like, protect Sansa Stark because you promised her mother, 
and kill Stannis Baratheon because you're trying to avenge Renly. That's mm. those are her two. To, that's her to do list. That's it. She's basically got an Arya kill list, but it's uh, it's it's just Stannis Baratheon. Yeah, <laughs> and and she very much uh, well off screen mm. gets to do that allegedly at some point. Back at Castle Black. Oh, this was one of those cool cutscenes that made perfect sense. Like she says, Stannis is a man, not a shadow, and a yes. man can be killed. And we cut straight to Stannis. Love it when that happens. I'm just going to keep pointing it out until somebody tells me not to. <laughs> uh, so Stannis is approaching John in his new chambers, the chambers of the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, because if you forgot, which would be easy because it was, it almost was insignificant <laughs> that he got elected to this position, which is an extremely important position. He is now in charge of the entire Night's Watch. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of to do after he gets elected, except make sure the wall doesn't get torn down. Right. Basically, I mean, but that, but you're right. It's it's everybody. Just suddenly, he is the Lord Commander, and that's it. Here we are. That's it. Yeah. There's no uh, like appeal process. There's no re-election. <laughs> there's no counting the votes again. This is over. Uh, Stannis asks if he can have the room alone with John because Ollie, the little shit, is in there too, and John says no. He says, "Ollie is my steward now." As I was Lord Commander Mormont's, I want him to attend my meetings to learn from men with experience. One day, he might command. Yeah, well, Ollie, you know what John didn't do? He did not stab Lord Commander Mormont in the uh, in the goddamn chest. Things don't so. unfold the same way. Yeah, my, my note here was, dear God. <laughs> Hearing him say that was so painful. You just, yeah. like, dude, yeah. what, first of all, I, I feel like everybody's been in this situation. Every dude has been in this situation at some point in their life where they meet a younger kid who you're like you can see a little bit of yourself in that person mm. and you kind of you have the like the the natural instinct to take them under your wing but normally you're like oh, i can't do it i'm the age difference is too much it's just gonna be weird john just outright does it like he should have vetted ollie a little better i feel like well how, how is he supposed to do that i don't know sit him down and ask him how he feels about wildlings <laughs> well he even says like he makes direct mention of of that a lot of the brothers aren't too fond of the wildlings. Yeah, one of them is his steward. Right. Which I mean, does he now? Does he know that Ollie's parents were brutally murdered in front of him by Thens? I don't know, but I don't know. I'm going to eat your mama, and I'm <laughs> going to eat your papa. Yeah, I think he does know that, and that's what makes it all the. It's just anyway. Point being, I hate watching these scenes with Ollie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stannis wants to talk with John about his offer to become John Stark, Lord of Winterfell, and John is again refusing him because he is Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Obviously, my place is here, he says. Stannis again reiterates to him that he's giving him the chance to avenge his family, to take back the castle where he grew up, to rule the North, and John again goes on to explain why he can't accept. They really want to make sure that we understand here that John is very serious about his vow that he took. This it's just it gets a little annoying. But I have to refuse you. Yeah. Stannis is like, fine, I won't try to dissuade you anymore. And he stands up to leave. Uh, and John's like, hey, j since you're on your way out, how much longer do you plan on staying here at Castle Black? And that really pisses Stannis off. He's <laughs> like, are you bored of us already? And John points out, look, we can't continue to we can't feed you, all of your soldiers, all these wilding prisoners. All of our people indefinitely. We're all going to starve here, essentially, is what's going to happen if you don't move on. And Stannis, in very un-Stannis-like fashion, is quick to explain. He's like, oh, yeah, me and my men, we'll be out of here. We'll be on our way to Winterfell before the fortnight. Mm. And up front, I was a little bit like taken aback by 
Stannis being straight up with somebody, like just answering the fucking question mm-hmm. instead of being like, suck my balls, I'm Stannis, I have an attitude about everything. Right. It gets explained to us, though, when Davos stays behind and exp- he tells John that Stannis really sees something in him, uh, that it might not show from his tone, but that he believes in him. It was just kind of a, a cool insight into the Stannis-John relationship. Yeah, yeah. Being explained by Davos, who obviously knows Stannis better than anyone else in the world, and uh, you kind of get you get an understanding for why Stannis answers him so is so forthright with John. Yeah, um, I, I did appreciate Stannis basically saying that the level of honor John shows is going to get him killed. Basically, yeah. you know, he's, he, you have just as much honor as your dad did. Slash, not dad. Slash John's like, Ned's, well, thank you, Ned Stark. Yeah, and he's like, no, that's not a compliment, bro, and it's not. No, not it's in not. not in Westeros here, my friend. I did think it was very uh, interesting how he put it. He was like, "Honor got your father killed." Yes, you just never see honor as a negative until you do because it gets your head chopped off. Right, and uh, he, he, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's very foreshadowing that if John doesn't figure out how to get his honor in check, it's going to get him killed too. Well, you gotta. Uh, it's okay to have honor, but you got to look out for Numero Uno. Who's that? You. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, John's terrible at that, at least in his first life. Uh, we'll, we're yet to see how that unfolds in his second life. But anyway. I got a question, though. Yeah. What, what does it look like in the alternate timeline where John does take this deal? What, ha- what happens now? That is a really good question. John well, rides would, with Stannis, leaves the Night's Watch. And dies gets, in the snow. Gets knighted. And dies. To go take back Winterfell with them? What ends up happening with Stannis on his way to take back Winterfell is they get stuck in the snowstorm. Right. And Ramsay and his boys just let them like starve and lose their shit out there. Now maybe he maybe he gets the wildlings to come with him and they have the extra men? I still think it was a matter of timing and and like knowledge. It was Stannis didn't have the knowledge to successfully travel through the north Mm. and the winter snow and all everything that comes with it. That's what gets him killed. And I think maybe the wildlings would have been able to help. I don't fucking know. I just don't see. I think if John accepts this, he ends up dead with Stannis. Okay. All right. Is my guess. Uh, Or captured and tortured by Ramsay, which would be even worse. But anyway, Davos also points out, and I I couldn't tell. He he, he gets this whole thing going, Davos, where he asks fuckhead, what's his name, the little kid? Ollie. Ollie to tell him the oath the Night's Watch Oath, just so he can get to the part where it's like, you swore to guard the realms of men. Mm. And it, all to make the point to John that sitting around in a castle might not be the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. He says, as long as the Boltons rule the North, the North will, will suffer. Just one man's opinion. Was this one last ditch effort at getting him to accept? Yes. But later it's also useful advice. Right. That it he needs it, to, it to, comes back and, and he basically follows this advice. Is that later. why it goes to Hardhome, pretty much? You, right. Yeah. He's like, you can't just sit around and fucking Castle Black. You got to go do stuff. Right. Yeah. And and later and later, after being resurrected, leaves to go. You know, get the get his shit back together. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Over at the House of Black and White, Arya is visited again by this strange girl that we have not yet been introduced to, who's holding a stick. We know her, of course, as the Waif. And uh, Arya's like, what is she doing here? She's just playing with her coin. It seems like that's what she does. I don't know. She's sleeping. She's taking a nap or something. Yeah, she's chilling in bed in her her little cot. 
The waif asks Arya who she is. Arya says, no one. And the waif smacks her with a stick. And Arya yells out, ow, cunt. And uh, this goes back and forth for several seconds. The waif keeps asking who she is and then hitting her with the stick. And finally, Arya snaps and grabs for needle and says, you're about to find out. Uh, But then in walks Jock and Agar. This whole no one song and dance continues. And Jockin tells Arya that with Arya Stark's clothes, Arya Stark's sword, how is it that no one came to be surrounded by Arya Stark's things? Basically, Tonner, ditch your worldly possessions. Yeah, I'm still, I'm, what I'm going to be watching this time around is, uh, this time I'm going to be trying to figure out if the whole point all along was to get her to hold on to being Arya and to acknowledge that she's Arya and that this is not the right place for her and she does need to go back. Basically. Thank you for giving us a purpose here because yeah. I'm struggling through this <laughs> bullshit House of Black and White. That's that's what I'm looking for because because that, that was, was always one of the, the big question. That was one of the big things that didn't make a ton of sense on the original watch is that they really beat you over the head with this whole got to become no one thing. Right. And then at the end of the day, it's like, ha not really though. Because she says a girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home and he fucking smiles. Right. So, yeah. which makes zero sense in the grand scheme. Like, it would, we have like six more episodes of this whole no one, sh- these <laughs> shenanigans going on. So I, I'm just, I'm with you. I'll watch for that. And I'll try to be more positive about this uh, particular storyline. Anyway, so Arya gets all of her belongings, including the coin. She goes and throws them all into the water, which is the second time she's thrown the coin into the water. It should be noted. Then she picks up Needle. And she can't part with Needle. She ends up hiding it in a pile of rocks near the water, stacking rocks on top of it. I she, hate goodbyes. Yeah, she can. <laughs> that night, she's uh, she's sweeping because... What what the fuck? Why is it so dusty in here? Why is it so dirty in here? <laughs> what is she sweeping constantly? Is it just all the dead bodies that result in ne- the need for sweeping? Yes, yes. I, I, I guess. You gotta keep it extra clean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so she sees these the guys come in and take another body off on a stretcher through the door, and she's kind of watching, interested or whatever. Then that, that door remains open, and you can tell she's like super intrigued, and the, the music builds up to like, oh shit, is she going to run through that door and like see what's going on back there? And then just then, Jockin touches her shoulder, and without a word, he leads her back through that door, down into the depths of the house of the black and white, into a room where the waif is ra- waiting... With the body on a table. The waif starts undressing this body, then pauses to kind of look at Arya and say, like, come help me, without saying anything at all, because no one's allowed to speak <clears throat> for some fucking mm-hmm, reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, st- they start stripping the body down and then cleaning it, and Arya asks, what do we do with them after we wash them? And the waif doesn't answer, and that's the end of the scene. Now, if this is a fake body, then my next comment means nothing. But if this is an actor here... I got to give another note because props to this actor for staying so still. I always wonder about this. I couldn't stay still with somebody washing me. I'd be squirming around or I'd get ticklish or that water's too cold and I like brace up and he is just stiff as a board. Because oftentimes you have to think that the dead bodies on shows are real actors. A lot of times they are. Because they just look more real because they're real. Yes. No, you definitely. Yeah. It's like a thing. It's like a. You know, a Hollywood thing that sometimes you get cast as like the dead body on CSI. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah, uh, I have uh, restless leg syndrome. 
<laughs> so I'm not eligible to be to be cast for these roles, which has been a huge blow to my acting career. My agent's trying to work around it. But Only, well, they need you a role where you're a dead body, and the dead body keeps kicking its legs around for some reason, and they can't figure out why. That's and what the, the mountain does later. And that, dude, yeah, yeah, that's just you. Just kicking under those and blankets. That, that's you. That's, that's your me. that's your role. I just need to put on about 150 <laughs> pounds of muscle, and I'm there. Anyway, thank God we're leaving. Uh, to Winterfell, where Sansa and Littlefinger finally arrived. They're greeted by Roos, Ramsay, all their men, all the whole fucking Bolton clan. And Sansa has to keep a straight face when she meets Roos, right? Remember, again, this man literally stabbed her brother, murdered him. He set up the whole fucking thing to have her mother wiped out, her, I guess, her sister-in-law murdered, her pregnant sister-in-law and she has to meet this man face to face and give a straight face. And she does. She plays it perfectly. She smiles. She curtsies. And Ramsey, she's then introduced to Ramsey, who says, It's an honor to meet you, my lady. Uh, when that happens, we see Ramsey's psychotic girlfriend, Miranda. Miranda Jelly. With a Y. She's looking on and she's not pleased. No that way. This a beautiful girl is being introduced into Ramsey's life. You have to assume at this point that she probably already knows what the situation is here. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be something to watch for. So Sansa is then shown to her chambers. And it's all very strange. You have to remember again that Sansa grew up here. This is her being led around the destroyed, like 2.0 version of her, her, her home where she, where she lived as a child. And uh, you can tell it's just kind of like her walking into the room even. It's just, it's all very surreal to her. And the lady showing her to her chambers says, Welcome home, Lady Stark. The North remembers. The North remembers. Which is interesting because it gives you the impression that, okay, maybe at some point down the line we have a little bit of a North re rebellion here and they take, take they kill all the Boltons, like rise up or something. That never happens. Nah. Mm -mm. It's kind of a bummer. It is a bummer. A little dick tease there. Back at Castle Black, John holds a meeting because he's in charge now and every I guess every week or day, who knows how often they have these meetings, but they have meetings where Lord Commander has to lead the meeting. He starts by announcing that they need to build a new latrine pit. I, I think this is where they poop. Yep. Poop and, and pee. They do the pee and the poop in the latrine pit, I thought I they pee in a bucket. I guess they a do everything in a bucket. A latrine is just a restroom. They dump it into the latrine pit, correct? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. there you go. Yeah. Anyway, they need someone to oversee this crucial task, as John puts it, and everybody's laughing. They think John's going to give this task to Sir Alistair, because obviously. Because they beefing. Because they beefing. <laughs> but John doesn't. He says, Brian, seems like a good job for a ginger. <laughs> And some ginger named Brian just got roasted in front of the whole Night's Watch for no fucking reason at all, just because he's got red hair. But Brian, just to his own credit, like... Great attitude. Great, a, great, great sport about the whole thing. He's like, yeah, yeah, I totally am the dude that should be building the latrine pit. Like, <laughs> I am a ginger. Dude, seriously though. And maybe, it's all love. It's all love. Maybe one of the most underrated characters <laughs> For two seconds, Brian's yes, on Brian. screen. Brian the ginger, now head of the the, yes. the building team that's gonna that's got to redo the latrine pits. And he couldn't be happier. No, no, he really is just thrilled, you know? John then goes on to address uh, Alistair in front of everybody. He says, you have more experience than any other ranger at Castle Black. You proved your valor many times over while defending the wall from wilding attack. I name you first ranger. First ranger. So he's going with... The I guess like you attract more flies with honey than vinegar thing here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he his his goal here is to like I think kind. Of, I mean, he just he he got 
he got through he told davos and and stannis you know keep your enemies i thought you were supposed to keep your enemies close right so that's one thing but then he's also i think he's trying to give the guy like some some respect here like i know we don't like each other but i think you're good at your job you have a lot of experience you deserve to be in a high position here like with us now i guess my question is what was sir alliser I don't know what his official position was. Because he was once, clearly the right hand man to. Oh, I'm sorry. Once Mormon died, he was kind of like almost like acting commander, basically. He was acting Lord Commander for okay. a period of time there. I, I kind of assumed he was First Ranger before. And maybe he's just being given that position maybe, again. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe that was a title that, that hadn't been filled. Or maybe it was Benjins, even, or something. Right. Well, you did make a good point, though, that Stannis. Earlier in the episode, when they're at Castle Black and he's meeting with John, he does suggest sending Alistair Thorne elsewhere. He's right. like, you got a lot of enemies here, man. You need to get rid of these people. Uh, give that dude command of Eastwatch by the sea. Uh, because, you know, you don't you don't want to have your enemies around here. John says, I heard it was best to keep your enemies close. Stannis says, whoever said that didn't have many enemies. Which makes sense. Because if you had a shit ton and you have to keep them all close, it gets really unmanageable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so John's whole plan here to put Sir Alistair in command as, I guess, first ranger, whatever that entails, you have to think he's in charge of all the rangers, In charge of right? the rangers, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, obviously backfires long term, but then he addresses uh, Lord Janos, as he calls him, gives him command of Greyguard, which is one of the shitty castles on the mm-hmm. wall, maybe the shittiest. Janos is pissed. He says, Greyguard is a ruin. He refuses outright to take command of Greyguard, and John's like, it was a command, not an offer. Pack up your shit, get the fuck out of here, you're going to Greyguard. And Janos is like, no. And John asks point blank, are you refusing to obey my order? And Janos, while everybody else in the room and everyone watching has realized, ooh, this is a life or death answer right here, (laughs) his dumb ass goes, you can stick your order up your bastard ass. Yeah. And yeah. I love John's response. He, it's like the look on his face is like, oh, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, take Lord Janos outside. Ollie, bring me my sword. Uh, there's this cool part where like the guys are walking toward Janos Slint to take him outside. And Alistair Thorne is in the way. Well, they kind of they show Alistair's face a couple of times before that. Like we're trying to get a read on him. Like, yeah, oh, like, shit, what's, what's he, he going to do? do? Is he going to fight? Is, is he, he is, like, Because this is kind of his boy. Yeah. Turns out, no. He's just going to step aside. Yeah. Gives so this dude up quick. That, right. And that's, I mean, you kind of get the feeling here that, like, he steps aside. He is in in not in not as many words, but he's basically saying that he agrees with John's decision here and that he's going to let this Night's Watch justice take place. Like, he's giving the okay, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, this dude just straight up refused an order from the Lord Commander. He got he got to go. And that Lord Commander just gave me the honor of being First Ranger. Hence, I am more okay with that yes. than anything. So yeah. you so you think that maybe this is gonna gonna soften the relation, or at least like put a little band aid on it for the time being. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, they take him outside. They drag him out there. John finishes up his cup of uh, what I assume was wine or something, but then he, then he heads ale. out. Ale, ale, gets long claw. He says if they they got this dude on the well, you know they slap your head on one of these pieces mm-hmm. of wood so they can chop it off. Yeah. He says if you have any last words, my lord, now's the time. 
And you think Janice is just going to give him another, like, fuck you or whatever and let his head get taken off. And then he's like, I was wrong. <laughs> You're the Lord Commander. We all serve you. I'm sorry. Not only for this, for all I've said and done. I was wrong. My Lord, please, mercy, mercy. I'll go. I will. Please. I'm afraid. I've always been afraid. And he's, like, sobbing like a little girl. It's, it's truly pathetic. Yeah. And John, like, pauses mid-backswing as he's like, mercy, I'll go. I will. And you think he's changed his mm-hmm. mind, that he's going to be like, all right, sniveling weasel yeah. get your ass out of here but then no he just swings long claw and takes his takes head, head off takes his one head. clean stroke oh yeah and he looks over and stannis and him make eye contact and stannis looks pleased he's like <laughs> yes <laughs> execute them all yeah. he just likes seeing people die i, I think that's why, like any justice that can be served stannis is down for um back in king's landing we get a really cool scene. It's the High Septon at some kind of uh, sex party. And at first you're like, what the fuck is going on here? There's like a bunch of chicks walking around in weird outfits, but they expose different parts of their bodies, whether it's their breasts or their privates or whatever. And the High Septon is just shirtless on his knees <laughs> with his gold Septon chain. It's all very strange. There's a dude walking around him with a false beard. Mm-hmm. It's the blonde guy yeah, that Littlefinger yeah. employs, the male prostitute. And uh, the blonde guy asks him, who will you worship today? And the high septon says, the maiden and the stranger. And the blonde's like, two is extra, you realize. He's like, yes, yes. Stop breaking character. And, uh, of course, in comes the Always the maiden. Always the maiden, yes. Yeah, he he always picks that one. You always pick the maiden, you you fucking... Yeah, you you, dumbass. Everybody knows... You're predictable. The high septon had a real fetish for that maiden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In come the sparrows, led by Lancel Lannister... Uh, we're in a whorehouse. This is Littlefinger's, one of Littlefinger's whorehouses. And uh, Lancel takes the high septum. He says, you're a sinner and you shall be punished. They take him and they strip him naked and they force his old naked white ass to walk around on the streets nude while people shout, sinner. And they beat him with a switch. Sinner. And he's not supposed to keep his hands over his private. Sinner. You got to keep your hands by your sides. It's funny. Let, let everybody see your dingus. Yeah. Anytime he tries to cover his penis, they slap him. <laughs> they stop it. <laughs> That's your shame, and you yeah. show it to everyone. Yeah, you show us that dingus. Speaking of shame, <laughs> that weenus. Speaking of shame, it's interesting to me that at this point in time, the sparrows, uh, the chant that they get it, because you have to think that the sparrows are the ones inciting the chant, right? It's like when you get a USA chant going. You're, you like somebody's mm. got to start it, like mm-hmm. USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the sparrows is like going up behind the common folk, and they're like, "Sinner, sinner," to get the <laughs> chant going. And later on, they go with a totally different approach. It becomes shame right shame yeah but this version in yeah. in you know walk of shame 1.0 mm. everybody yells sinner this is the beta this is the beta version it's they're just yeah. test they're testing it huge stride forward in yeah. my opinion right to get to shame before cersei has to do this whole thing anyway we don't get the full version of this walk of shame by the way it's a very short beginning of it where i guess they didn't want to take away the impact of Cersei right, doing yeah. it later. And this is this is just a nod also to like the power vacuum here because mm-hmm. not only is Tywin dead, but Littlefinger's not there anymore. Right. Varys is gone. Right. And Cersei is is the queen mother. Tommen is king, married to Marjorie, who is the queen that it's been consummated. Like ain't nobody got any power right now in no, King's Landing. Dude, all of the power players who were pulling they're all the strings, out of the city. They're all gone. Yeah. So the people that if if basically, to your the, point, if somebody had made the decision to do this last season, they would all have been slaughtered. Yes, for sure. 
Tywin wouldn't have been having this. No, Littlefinger no. hates it when people fuck around and uh, fuck up his brothels right. like that. All these dudes would like, be dead. All these dudes would be dead. Yeah, they see their opportunity and they go for it. Yeah, and uh, immediately after seeing this little short, shortened version of the Walk of Shame, we see the same High Septon entering the chambers of the Small Council. He says, "Your Grace, Grand Maester, Lord Tyrell." Uh, and Kyburn's like it doesn't matter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I love and uh, the guy's there to complain about what the Sparrows did to him obviously Kyburn asks or points out rather that this assault started in a brothel and Lord Tyrell is shocked he's like hi Septon I have to say but uh, the the whole thing this whole scene is, is like riddled with not, not unintentional comedy I mm. guess it's funny is my point yeah yeah um well, and, and, and Picel is like, I think the ma private matters should stay private. Yeah, it's the whole thing is bizarre. The High Septon argues that even the lowest among them can worship the mother when they're calling into question why it started in a mm -hmm. whorehouse. Mm -hmm. And Kyburn goes on to poke more fun at the situation. He says, so you were ministering to the needs of those devout prostitutes. <laughs> and that's when Picel finally snaps and yells out, a man's private affairs <laughs> ought to stay private. Which, what's his deal... <laughs> What's his deal here? Is it just because of that one time that he got his beard cut off when he was with a hooker or whatever? I, just like, he, no, he just he's just outing himself as like a, a perv too. Yeah. And like, the guy it, who just wants the old order to stay the way it was. Yeah, like, why right. are we fucking yes, with all this? He, lo he is happy with the status quo. Yeah. Shit changing is not cool with this no, guy. No, it's not good for him. No. Change is very bad very for Very bad, yeah. The High Septon asks Cersei for justice. He wants all the sparrows locked up. He wants the High Sparrow executed. And Cersei's like, oh, God. Goes, she asks him where he is. Where's this High Sparrow? Then she goes and visits him. Uh, on the way up into his lair, it's filled with all these sick and hungry people coughing. Just gross people all over. These are very poor, very sick, very disgusting people uh, by Cersei's standards. And the High Sparrow is dressed just like them, just like everyone else, in rags with no shoes. And you can tell from the get-go, Cersei's very perplexed by him, but, like, interested in what he's got going on here. He shares some of his, like, philosophy with her, his general philosophy. Uh, says that he assumed she came to arrest him for the incident with the High Septon. Says hypocrisy is a boil. Lancing a boil is never pleasant, although they could be more careful with the blade. And Cersei shares with the High Sparrow that now that High Septon resides in the Red Dungeon, the Red Keep Dungeons, because... Having a man like that in his position eats away at the faith from the inside, as she put it. And it kind of made me wonder. Obviously, Cersei's intentions here weren't pure. She's not some devoutly religious person who believes that the High Septon has to be pure. And no. But she saw fit to make a change. And I just wonder why she... I guess she, she thinks... This is her play. This is the card she's playing right okay. now. She thinks that... She's going to be able to use this High Sparrow, install him in power, and... and, and, mil and militarizing the faith is going to work in her, for and her flips, advantage. And flip some tables, yeah. Ah. Th this is a play, for sure. And I've got that note, too. I'm like, holy shit, man. I Cersei does this shit to herself. Yeah, it's... it's, it's she, it's, like... She digs the hole. Yeah. Big that she finds herself in. Yeah, big time. Um, um, because it, she... I mean, theoretically, like... She probably was still wielding enough power and had enough people behind her at this point where she probably could have just gone and arrested the Sparrow and executed him. Right, right. Easily, yeah. I would think. Easily. But because um, I mean, he's still in his infancy in terms of the size of his force and all that, you get the impression that it's really right. just like those 15 guys that are the, the militarized yeah. 
sparrows and then there's a shit ton of poor people and sick people yeah and i i mean this storyline is it's is it's interesting it's cool i i feel like it kind of comes out of left field a little bit a little bit on 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 hashtag sparrow watch Mm -hmm. he's just like boom there yeah we've never even heard of this guy before and then well the only thing we've been told is that like these people have come in right to the city since tywin that died. true yeah. true yeah they've shown up yeah. but we don't really know much about him yet yeah so it's, i guess they've just been kind of waiting in the shadows right. as well and 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 you know now here they're their spot yeah yeah the, cersei does explain this much she says the faith and the crown are the two pillars that hold up this world one collapses so does the other we must do everything necessary to protect one another and again as barrett made the point she is just she's attempting to build this into a situation that she can take advantage of mm-hmm. she recognizes the opportunity to militarize the faith and use it for her own purposes. She has no idea, of course, at first, that the High Sparrow has no intention of letting her abuse their new pillar partnership situation. Yep. Uh, the next thing we see is Kyburn in his lab cutting open a rat, and he looks like real... The, the, the facial expression he makes when the knife goes into the rat, he's like, ah! <laughs> and it's like, you, surely he's done this many times, and it's not that exciting, but they, I guess they not. They're just now starting to... I've honestly never felt like Kyburn was like a bad dude. Right. He's never... I mean, yes, he is a stooge he's a of weird. the Lannisters at this point. Yeah, but he's just a little weird. But he's just a scientist, yeah. right? He's a sicko. But, but he's, now he's just like slicing open these rats and they're they're kind of starting to turn that dial up a little bit in that way. to where he's like, nah, this is kind of a twisted sicko. It's basically you're like, this guy's off. Yeah. Something yeah. is wrong with him. Yes. He only wants to do gross things <laughs> and and he is gross and yeah. he doesn't care if anybody knows who he is. Yeah. It's just, it's he's a strange guy. Um, Cersei comes in and tells him to send a raven to Littlefinger at the Eerie or wherever he's slithering about, as she puts it. Good line. And uh, asks him how his work is coming along. He says, very well, faster than expected. She tells him to be sure that Littlefinger is clear of the meaning of the word immediately, and then she leaves. And on her way out, we get this shot of the mountain covered with a cloth on the operating table as Kyburn mm-hmm. writes the uh, letter to Littlefinger. And then suddenly the mountain, with his restless leg syndrome, just moves violently. He's just like, Rah! What, what do we? What's the message that Cersei's sending to Littlefinger? I do not recall, and okay. I don't think this episode reveals. They it. don't. They don't. Um, and Kyburn's like, shh, easy, friend, <laughs> to the mountain on the table. And back at Winterfell, Littlefinger and Ramsay watch on together as Sansa walks about, and Ramsay says something like, she's really lovely. I hope I can make her happy. Littlefinger says, I hope so, too. I've become quite fond of Lady Sansa during our travels together. She has suffered enough. And Ramsay says, I'll never hurt her. You have my word. This whole exchange, which concludes with Littlefinger saying, I've heard very little about you, which makes which makes you quite a rare thing as lords go. Mm-hmm. This whole exchange is meant to solidify in our minds that Littlefinger does not know what he's getting her into, doesn't know anything about this guy. Yeah. And he genuinely does not want her to suffer anymore. He thinks he's doing the right thing by sticking her back in her home, marrying her off to some, I mean, you know, he's not a bad looking dude, uh, to a lord. He thinks he's accomplishing something solid here, and he is, oh my God, the opposite of that <laughs> is happening. Uh, Ruse Bolton approaches and asks for a moment alone with Littlefinger, and Littlefinger tells Ruse, I assure you she is, a, is still a virgin. Tyrion never consummated the marriage. By the law of the land, she is no man's wife. Inspect her if you must. Yeah, see, and then boom, Littlefinger, you're a fucking sicko and then he's bastard again. again. Well, but also, that was just the way things were done back then. They did uh, yeah, this. They yeah. inspected for the virginity or whatever. <laughs> and I love that Ruse was like, ah, oh, that's the... That's up to the whores. <laughs> it's a, they take you to a brothel to be inspected is, is okay. basically what sure. the right. assumption right. is here. 
which is just even creepier. Uh, they go on to discuss the arrangement they've made, which we have up to this point been completely in the dark on. What is this arrangement? Why is Littlefinger taking Sansa to Bruce Bolton? Why would he agree to marry her off to Ramsay? What is this? What is he getting out of this? And we find out this is essentially he has chosen Ruse as like the first ally post Tywin mm-hmm. to align himself with, which is really interesting. And it, it, they go on and talk about how basically Ramsay's like, or Ruse is like, are you concerned with how the Lannisters are going to react when they hear that we've wed Sansa to Ramsay? And Littlefinger says, the Lannister name doesn't mean what it once did. Tywin is dead. He kept his house in power through sheer will. Without him, Jamie has one hand and no allies. Tommen is a soft boy, not a king to fear. He doesn't even make mention of Cersei, which really speaks to his lack of respect for Cersei, her cunning, how upset she's going to be, and whether or not she'll be able to enact some kind of vengeance on Littlefinger for executing this whole plan. Ruse, on the other hand, is like the queen will be enraged. And Littlefinger's response is, Queen Marjorie adores Sansa. Cersei is queen mother, a title whose importance wanes with each passing day. He's pretty much writing her off Mm. as no longer a threat. Uh, Which, again, I just found to be fascinating. Uh, Then Ruse tells Littlefinger that he has actually a message from Cersei, that a rider arrived from the Vale, like in the middle of the night or some shit, and Littlefinger's like, hey, the seal's broken. Looks like you uh, opened my mail. And he's like, look, dude, if if you receive word from the Queen Mother in the night, it does make me question our new a new alliance. Of course, I'm reading your fucking mail. Um, um, I enjoy the transparency here. Like, yeah, yo, you're up on you. You're on my. You're in my house. I'm reading your mail. You get anything delivered here, I'm reading it. Of course. Yeah, that's I, just. I mean, that's smart. I uh, I hate to say I enjoyed Ruse in this scene, but I did. He was. I thought he was. Uh, when he was good. Yeah, yeah. Now, when Littlefinger talks about the last time. The Lords of the Eyrie teamed up with the North. They took down the greatest uh, dynasty that they that had ever been seen. Right. You're talking about the Targaryens, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. The Eyrie. It's eerie. The Eyrie. Eyrie is the something Eyrie. that Irish people that, say. No, or is that isn't is it a Jamaican thing? Eyrie. Eyrie. Yeah, it is Jamaican. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. The Eyrie. Wiry <laughs> is what the kicker in the replacements calls himself. He says, "I'm wiry." <laughs> The eerie, the eerie. Yeah, yes. the eerie. Indeed, uh, indeed. Then Littlefinger's like, "Hey, can I borrow one of your birds?" Uh, Cersei will expect a quick reply, and Roose is like, "I'd like to read that reply," <laughs> which is also just kind of funny. On the road with Tyrion and Varys, Tyrion still has cabin fever. I have to get out of this wheelhouse. He keeps repeating. Uh, they're in Volantis now. We find out. Note on the origin of the word wheelhouse. Like, oh, that's totally in my wheelhouse. You've probably said that. Holy shit. I didn't know what it was. That's what a wheelhouse is. Didn't know that until it's a, a riding now. carriage is a wheelhouse. Wow. It's a house on wheels. Yeah, there you go. It's in your wheelhouse. Uh, Varys says the likelihood of Tyrion being spotted in Volantis increases 100-fold because there's so many fucking people there. And Tyrion's point is, I will not be of any use to Daenerys Targaryen if I lose my mind. I can't remember the last face I saw that wasn't yours. And Varys is like, it's a perfectly good face. What you have to keep in mind here is that in all fairness, Tyrion has spent a considerable, countless amount of hours in the last several months of his life shut inside boxes, whether it was the box traveling across the Narrow Sea, this box that he's been stuck in with Varys, and I think what we kind of lack here is that time frame. Like, you you need to assume, as a viewer, that Tyrion has been stuck in the wheelhouse with Varys 
for so fucking long that he is literally going to lose his mind if he doesn't get out of the box. Because mm. for you, for me, watching, you're like, dude, just stay in the box. What's wrong with you? No, he's literally been shut in there. He has not left that box in months and months and months. They've been traveling for a long fucking period of time. He needs to get out. Uh, we get this cool overhead shot of part of Volantis, and then we see Tyrion and uh, Varys walking around. The, the overhead shot, I thought, was... I, I do have a note about that. Very cool shot. Just another feather in the cap of, like, how well this show, like, built these worlds. Yes. When, they, you know, we're seeing something new. They're showing you what it looks like. Here's and they just into do here. a really good job of, of, of making you feel like you're there. Yeah, and they afforded the... I guess they did it in the right way. And what I mean by that is it's not too far up to where you're having to see the entire city. Right. It's just like a section of it yeah. to let mm-hmm. you know you're dealing with a big-ass city. Here. Yep. Um, and walk, watching these two walk around, they really do stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And it's like it's like <laughs> the cleanliness. Also, they're both just very distinct-looking. Obviously, Tyrion being yep. a dwarf and Varys being extremely bald and just rotund. He's ridiculous looking, and uh, they stand out. We see an Asian woman doing the whole Lord of Light spiel to a crowd. She's like a red priestess. This was insane. This was crazy to me. This red woman over here is already preaching about Daenerys. Yeah. Shit's wild. Yeah. These red people, man, like, they, they she get does around. Not, she doesn't say that, that Daenerys is as the princess who was promised, or Alora's eye, or anything like that. But she's over there, right? A, a a red priestess, talking about how Daenerys, the mother of dragons, is like the savior. Yes. Meanwhile, we st- Melisandre is still riding with Stannis. That's a good point. It's a little weird. Yeah. Disconnect in the uh, red these, priestess community. What do they just all get to do, like? Everybody picks. Put one. an iron in the fire. Everybody picks like, one. I think there might be this one. It's so that no matter what, their religion is right. I guess, but I, this, really I just know. thought that I thought that was interesting because later we see we get another priestess who's who we see in the pyramid with Danny talking yeah. to uh, Varys for one fucking scene. Yeah, it's really. But, but I mean, like, like it's just interesting because Melisandre is not over is not on this same page yet. Right. So it's like I guess they're not communicating with each other. Yeah, I guess not. Uh. Tyrion notes, the only red priest we had in King's Landing was Thoros of Myr. This one's much better looking. As Barrett noted, that priestess is talking on and on about the Dragon Queen, how she was sent to save the world. Tyrion's kind of mocking her as she speaks, and then she stops and turns slowly and stares directly into like Tyrion's eyes. Hmm. It's very creepy, and he says, let's find a brothel. So they hit a brothel, and they get drinks. And it turns out there's a Daenerys-themed prostitute at this brothel, also Jorah, who is pissed <laughs> drunk and pounding drinks. And... Many people over the years have pointed out how creepy it is that Jorah happened to be in a brothel with a Daenerys-themed prostitute, and it is. Yes, it is but I also, I also think it speaks... It's almost like getting to see the plays that Arya goes to later. Yes. It's, it's a like, little bit it's of a the nice inside. Little, it's a nice little you know, piece of insight that like, oh, these common people, they all are kind of aware of what's going on. Just this, sort this, of. They the get main, a version of the it. main story that we're telling you about all these high lords and ladies like fighting over the throne and like doing their thing. Right. Like the common people have some idea of what is happening. Yeah. And, and they, they and they interpret it in, in their own ways and put their own spins on it and dress up like them, you know? It was a good wig that this hooker had. So uh it was a, you not a see, badass either. Help! Hey, you could see you could see her <laughs> real hair underneath it, which isn't good, but it was a good wig if she had been able to conceal her sure, real sure. hair. Yeah. 
You know what would have helped Tyrion out here, I think, is if in his wheelhouse he was able to get a quality night's sleep. Well, I, you know what? He did have Lisa mattresses in that wheelhouse, as we discussed in a previous episode. Oh, yes, yes. The problem is, that was the only good thing he had going. That's true. That's true. And I can only sustain you for so long. It, the other problem that I was told is that they wouldn't stop the carriages at night for sleep. So he's just kind of bouncing around on this comfortable cloud of Lisa. Yeah. What he really needs is a Lisa mattress in a home. I also heard that one of the issues is he didn't have a Lisa pillow. That Well, that could be an issue. Which is the mistake he made. He only got the mattress. You also need the pillow. Everybody knows that a good night's rest helps you in so many ways. If you, if you need help improving your memory, making decisions, preventing burnout, if you've got issues like anxiety or whatever your mental ailment may be, there's nothing like a good night's sleep to help improve that shit. And that's where our sponsor Lisa comes in. They have designed a better mattress using 30 years plus of experience, hundreds of hours of testing and science to perfect the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. As we've said before, whether you're shaped like Barris, shaped like Tyrion, or anything in between, or maybe even the mountain, Lisa is the best mattress you can buy. Their mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. They've got this great program called the 110 program where they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. They also work with the Arbor Day Foundation to plant one tree for every mattress they sell and have committed to planting one million trees by 2025. Big time savings for the Clam Fam. If you want to get a new Lisa mattress today, you go to lisa.com slash dragon. Dragon. L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Dragon. And right now you'll get $160 off a Lisa mattress. If you want to go with the Sapira by Lisa, which is the combination of memory foam and coil technology, you get $235 off. That's a nice deal. Believe that. This shit is very high quality, unbelievable sleep. I mean, really, you, you'll, you'll wonder how you lived without it. And as I mentioned, the pillows, the Lisa pillow, unbelievable. The blankets, unbelievable. So load up on everything you need. Get the whole set. Yes. Anything whole, that, whole squad sleeping good. Uh, anything in your sleeping arsenal that you think is not up to snuff, it's time to do away with it and replace it with something from lisa.com slash dragon today. Anywho, Tyrion leaves the table to find a prostitute. He says, I need to speak to someone with hair. And he ends up hitting on this one who accuses him of not having any money. Then she catches him looking at the Danny-themed prostitute, and she says, you like her. They all like her. They all want to fuck a queen. And Tyrion says that's because they've never met a queen. Uh, finally, he convinces this prostitute to allow him to be a customer, and she takes his hand. And he freezes up. Not nah, this man can't do it anymore. He's like weeping almost. He's like it's like the touch of another human or another woman like breaks him emotionally. And maybe it's because he lost Shay. Maybe it's because I it's been so long. This is a Shay. This is recoiling because of a Shay. He's realizing his days with prostitutes need to be over. Yeah, yeah. And it's also the result of him not being touched by anyone for so long. Right. He's been in the boxes, and uh, it's just. This is a big, big, big turning point here mm -hmm. for Tyrion as yes. a character yes. that I don't think I ever really put enough stock in. Mm -hmm. He's literally retiring from being the, I guess... Uh, Drunken whoremonger? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that This is his announcement that he's retiring, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So he's like, I got to take a... He says something along the lines of like, well, I really hope this terrible feeling goes away. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to do with my time. He's like, I guess I'll go take a piss. That's a start. I'll just say, though, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like Tiger Woods syndrome here because since he gave up the Prosts, hasn't been, hadn't the best been making strategist. very good decisions. Right. I mean, he's been making the good, the, the right 
huge decisions like who to align himself mm-hmm. with, but not great at helping those people. Not great strategical, tactical. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. Hopefully next season. Uh, anyway, so he ends up going to take a piss, and that's where Jorah finds him, ties him up, gags him, and says, I'm taking you to the queen, and just throws him over his shoulder and heads off. Yes. And that's the end of the episode. That's where this thing comes to a close. It was kind of an all-over-the-place episode. A long one. And over an hour. It was mm-hmm. like an hour and seven minutes yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Like It was fucking intense to get through. Uh, not bad. Moved the story along a little bit. Obviously, we will be back next Monday to talk about the fourth episode of season five, Sons of the Harpy. Written by Dave Hill and again directed by Mark Mylod. Is that right? No way. Can't be the. Talk about something for a second. The Markster? I don't know. You're going to have to Mark Mylod. All right. I'm pulling up the thing to make sure that I'm not wrong about this because I, I don't, I don't want to be wrong. Yep. Mark Mylod. This is his back to back. Slovis went back to back one and two. Oh, the Slovis man. Mylod yeah. goes three, four. Okay. Get this. Jeremy Potiswa, five, six. Sapochnik. 7-8. Wow. And then the Nutman comes in 9-10. Oh, God. This whole season's broken into twosies. Nutter? They get the Nutman back? The, the Nutman's the ringer. He just closes <laughs> this whole fucking season out. We are really weird. He is a closer. <laughs> Everybody knows that about the Nutman. Follow us on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. Uh, like us on Facebook, wherever. I don't. Nobody cares. Follow me, Ross, on social media at WRBolin on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. Barrett, where can the clam fam follow you? I am on all of the social mediums at Barrett Dudley. That's two R's, two T's. Our hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS. We would appreciate it if you would rate and review our show if you're enjoying the night's rewatch. And again, tell your friends, neighbors, coworkers, tell everybody to come and join us on the night's rewatch and take their vows. Grandexshop.com slash OCC for the shirt that was promised. And other shirts, Game of Thrones themed shirts, Oysters, Clams, and Cockles themed shirts. We'll see you next Monday. Thank you.